In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In 2017, the Father went to a conference center in Portugal called Enxomil. Enxomil. It's a conference center near Porto, north of Lisbon. And uh, it's in that uh, conference center where our father visited in 1972. And there he saw the famous Amote soup terrain. It was a simple clay soup terrain that had been repaired with these metal staples and uh, it just said Amote, Amote, I love you, I love you. And uh, he was quite struck by this terrain. It, it looked like it was a family object and uh, well it had, to, it had probably been pushed off the table by some youngster or something at one point and broken into pieces and some very diligent soul somehow stapled it together and used ceramics to hold it together and then repainted it and continued with amote. And uh, the image of this soup terrain evoked in our father a little bit what our soul is like. You know, we're nicely built, we're like that soup terrain, we're, you know, nice ceramics piece, but then we get plunked off the table in a typical family gathering, and, uh, and then we just have to be put back together. And that's a little bit an image of our life, that uh, we are sometimes beautiful, but then we break, we fall, but we can be put back together. We're weak, we're fragile, but with the sacraments, with the, particularly with confession, we have that hope that we can always be just stapled together. And in some ways, we're not as good as the, the original version, but uh, it has a certain je ne sais quoi, you know, that uh, you would not be able to get if you were to produce it uh, in a factory perfectly. You know, you, you always get these chips, these chips, and that tells you it was really used. And uh, that, that gives it this certain flair. And our father liked that because he saw that it represented our life. And so it's in that place that the father prayed. And he gave us a short paragraph in the letter in which he mentioned what the contents of his prayer was, what he talked about, what he prayed with our Lord about. He had, in fact, been at Our Lady of Fatima. And this is what he said. He said, While praying in Fatima with all of you, I was going over in the presence of God, our Heavenly Mother, some of the challenges of this world of ours. Challenges that are both complex and exciting. What is our Lord expecting of us Christians today? This was 2017, so... It was still before the pandemic, but even it's as though those challenges have ratcheted themselves up. 
So what, what, is he, what is he asking us now in this series of complex events that have happened in the last few years and that seem to be sort of putting everybody under pressure? And uh, he says, uh, he wants us to go to meet people's anxieties and needs in order to bring the gospel in its original purity and radiant newness to everyone. So people are anxious, they're fed up, they're, they're uh, worried, they, you know, stressed, uh, tired of the masks. And, and now we, in front of that, we have to bring them the newness, the aliveness of the gospel. He says, the dimensions of this task are outlined by two fishing scenes on the Sea of Tiberias, which offer a glimpse of the way Christians navigate through history. One is the Master's forceful invitation to be daring, put out into the deep. From Luke chapter 5, put out into the deep, Duke in Altum. And the other is the words of the beloved disciple, it is the Lord, it is the Lord. That's after the resurrection, right? When they see, they see him from the shore, from the boat, they see him on the shore. Reflecting the attentive, perceptive faithfulness that it enables us to recognize Jesus. So, Dukinaltum, put under the deep, and that's the, the opposite direction, let's go onto the shore, it is the Lord. Beautiful two phrases from the Gospel, one from Luke, one from John, that help us a little bit to articulate how we can approach this challenge that the Lord has prepared for us now. And uh, these are the challenges that the Father speaks about, and they were certainly challenges that were faced by the Apostles and the first Christians. They had lots of challenges in the Roman world. And it all began with this miraculous draft of fish, which, of course, was not only a miracle that overwhelmed everyone, the fact that the fish could suddenly rise up and go into the net, you know. I mean, it was a, it showed Jesus' power over nature. I mean, it's just his ability to bring fish into the net. I mean, you might be able to train a dog, you might be able to even train a crow to pick up cigarette butts on the ground, as they do in some countries, but to tell fish what to do, I mean, that's pretty impossible, I mean, and much less to do it so instantly as the Lord did. But of course also it, it involves a dramatic and challenging mission, okay? because that's what our Lord did, he gave the mission, from now on you shall be a fisher of men. And this passage, with the Lord entering the boat of Peter, which is, of course, that boat was the place of Peter's livelihood. It was his prized possession. He had worked so hard to obtain it and to keep it up. He had to sand it and varnish it and shellac it frequently. But here, Jesus enters into that place where he gets all his livelihood and he enters in there with authority. And Peter humbly accepts this entry and he lets him speak from this place of his work. And by definition, a boat like that, of course, is pretty unstable. It can tip over any time. It's, it's subject to the effects of the weather. 
But with Jesus in our boat, with Jesus in our work, with Jesus, the Lord Jesus in our family, in our relationships, in our challenges, suddenly everything becomes much more stable. No matter how, how many white caps and waves there may be in our life, things become stable if we really let them in. And of course, Peter and the others noticed the moral authority that the Lord had. And I guess he must have heard about this from miracles. But yet, in a moment, he's going to be blown away much more than he ever expected by seeing all these fish land in his in his nets. Could it be that I could look at my vocation and I have not really fully allowed our Lord to enter into my life, into my work, into my family? And I have not in some way fully allowed him to give me this tremendous mission as he did St. Peter and the other apostles. It says, oh, you know, Peter knelt at him and said, Lord, I'm, I'm, you know, go away from me. Like, go away, go away. I am unworthy. I am, I'm, a, I'm a sinful man. And the Lord is kind of saying, it's okay. They say in Spanish, tranquilo, tranquilo. It's okay, relax. I will make you a fisherman. I will make you a fisherman of men. So we can ask that very important question, to what extent have I seen my vocation merely as a series of acts of piety that I should do or extra things? Or you know, We know the plan of life is important, but... Um, you know, it's like about things that I have to get to know and do, and I have these obligations now, and and these could sometimes overwhelm me because I have so many things to do, and and they and they seem to neutralize the real sense of mission and responsibility that I must have for the souls around me. It's as though we stopped that miracle just at the moment of the draft of fish, and cut it off after our Lord, before our Lord said, said, I'll make you fish of men. The miracle doesn't finish with the, with the miraculous draft of fish. It continues to that mission. The Father says, sailing into the deep sea of this world does not mean adapting the message or the spirit to current events. Because the gospel has the capacity to shed its own light on all situations. Instead, it summons each of us with our spiritual and intellectual resources, with our professional skills or life experiences, and also, also with our limitations and defects to try to see how we can cooperate more and more in the huge task of, of setting Christ at the summit of all human activities. This image of setting Christ at the summit, as though, as though human activities are like a, like a hill, like a, like, a, like a summit that we're going up, that we're struggling at. And, but the whole point is to bring Christ there. And that's why in so many, so many countries there's these big mountains, like in Brazil, and they have a huge statue of, of Christ, the resurrected Christ with his arms wide. 
and the, and that's like represents what our, our role is because you can see that statue from for miles. I know in Montreal, Mount Royal, they have a, a huge cross there, you know, that oversees the entire city. And uh, some years ago, some some people in the municipal government said, "Oh, this is passe. We have to take that cross down. We got to take it down. It's always illuminated and it's wonderful." Well. The proposal lasted about two seconds and was shot down, right? It was in the newspapers, and, but that's it. As far as I know, it hasn't been taken down. Because he has said at the sum of all human activities. And it is encouraging to think or to hear that he uses my defects, my limitations of time, my lack of time, my lack of energy, my sickness, my own intellectual limitations... Even, yeah, even my own laziness, my fears, he uses that somehow. It's encouraging to know that, you know, that these don't really bother him. They don't bother him. When he sees us there and uh, we haven't started our day and uh, we're still not really living the heroic minute, now what would our Lord be doing? Would he be, going, would he be fuming and say, get out of bed, get out of bed, get out of bed? You know, he'd be going, oh, she must be so tired. Oh, she must have a hard time. Okay, animo, come on, you can do it. You come on, come on, come on. And he gives us little graces and then we get finally moving. No? Some people leap out of bed like a, you know, like a bat out of hell, literally, you know. And uh, I don't think our Lord is angry at us when he sees our defects. His mercy. I don't think they bother him. We may have physical limitations. We may have fatigue. Others have uh, tons of energy. They they leap out. It's I've always found it uh, wonderful to see the children at school so excited to go to recess. They go to recess. They get their boots on. They get their snow pants on, and uh, they're. Raring to go. Yeah. And then they, what do they do? Well, they just run around in the back. They scream and they tag each other. Right? And uh, because they understand this is so much better than sitting at home in front of a screen. Right? They get to interact. They get to talk to each other. But then it's another adventure just getting back. right? When the bell rings or whoever, when they're called in. The Father says, to do this we need an in-depth knowledge of the time we live in. Its dynamics and potential. And also of the limitations and injustices, sometimes serious ones, that afflict it. Above all, we need personal union with Jesus in prayer and the sacraments. Like that, we will be able to remain open to the action of the Holy Spirit in order to call with charity at the door of our contemporaries' heart, hearts. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit. And you know, that's a task we have, to knock at their hearts, see what's lying within. And naturally we can see many injustices, we see them online, we see them in the papers. Some things just cry for justice. The cancel culture makes everyone apprehensive about what they could say in public, what they could tweet, uh, 
lest it be misinterpreted as hate or as anti-something. The Father says we have to have in-depth knowledge of the time we live in. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means we can't be satisfied merely with Facebook posts or YouTube streams or that are anyway, they're all presented to us through these complex, complex algorithms. We need somehow a deeper knowledge. Cultural formation, reading books, good novels, good histories. But also this fundamental ability to relate with others, develop good relationships, however we can do that in these times. Because we know that if we are fishers of men, we are also sowers of peace and of joy. Be a sower of peace. That that can really happen by our presence, by our smile, by our giving confidence to the others. We are not antagonistic to them. We're not against them. Our friends, our, our relatives. And to be sowers of joy. Well, if we are sowers, that means we have joy somehow in us already. And part of our mission is to transmit that joy. To be a, uh, a fish of men means that the reason we, we are able to fish men or women is that we have a good bait. And that bait is our joy. Or our happiness. What is happiness? What exactly is that? Many people think happiness is a feeling. You ask them, it's a, it's a good feeling? You ask any student, any student body, and they will usually mention in that definition the word feeling. Well, there is elements of feeling, but it's, it's certainly very limiting. Right? Of course there are feelings in happiness, but it's only a very small part of the equation. One, one author, Arthur Brooks, who, who teaches at uh, Harvard, he describes happiness in the way that you should take part in a great meal or a great banquet. Um, happiness, he says, is a banquet. It's not uh, accidental, after all, that the heavenly kingdom is described as the banquet of eternal life. And in heaven you'll be happy, but somehow because you'll be at a banquet. And you can describe a great banquet in terms of its uh, ingredients, the taste, the dishes, the hors d'oeuvres, but he describes it in, ter- in real terms in what he calls macronutrients. In any meal there are macronutrients. And there are three essential macronutrients in every meal. Proteins, carbs, and fat. Protein, fats, and fat. And so uh, the three macronutrients to happiness are enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose. Enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose. And those that are truly happy, they have all three. They have enjoyment, they have satisfaction, and they have purpose. And they have them in abundance. I think you could say that St. Maria had all three ingredients in abundance. Some years ago, Father Joe Soria, who spent many years with uh, our founder, 
decided to write a book called Maestro de Buen Humor, Master of Good Humor, because he had experienced living with Saint Jose Maria, the great joy that it meant to live with him in the get-togethers and just uh, dealing with him. He had those three ingredients. He had enjoyment. Like he enjoyed deeply what he did. He enjoyed deeply watching a movie. He enjoyed deeply being with others, listening to music. It gave him satisfaction. And it was all intertwined in a deep sense of purpose. And uh, uh, Father Joel recounts that back when he wrote this, this was a number of years ago, it was in the 90s, and uh, he, he had a special computer, which was not, I don't, know if, I don't think it was a laptop, maybe it was a laptop, but it was in the years in which laptops were quite a new thing. And it was explained to him, well, you, you type your text here, and there's a, like a kind of floppy disk, and you put the floppy disk in, and it'll get saved on there. But, you know, it was only uh, 100K of, on the floppy disk, so it was the old days, you know. But, uh, so he, he started doing his research, and he started typing in, typing in, typing in, and he was several hours, and I mean, he, several, if not days, working on this text, and uh, he had the floppy disk in there, he recounted. And he said, well, I, you know, I haven't saved anything here yet, so I, maybe I better save it. So he did save in the typical spiraling thing, and it says, it suddenly told him, not enough space in the disk, and then it shut down, and nothing was saved, you know, nothing was saved. It was just, he just lost all that typing over, I think it was several days. And then he looked at this blank screen, and he thought, now is when I have to put into practice to be a master of good humor. You know? And uh, he managed to do it. You know, he said, I'm going to be in good humor. I'm going to act as St. Osiris would have acted in, in front of this masterful deception of the computer. And so we have to have all three. We have to have enjoyment, satisfaction, and purpose. All three and well-balanced. And those who are who are out of balance with these three, too much of one, not enough of the other, well, they tend to define themselves as unhappy. If the only thing they're always doing is just enjoying, 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 and they don't have real satisfaction or no real purpose, they're not going to be happy. They'll have elements of it, but in the end, they won't be overall happy. So if we're unhappy, or we meet somebody who is unhappy, habitually, then we have to dig into those three dimensions. That's part of our mission. We have to give out those dimensions to others. Imagine if, if part of our mission is to, is to help people to be happy. I mean, inevitably it requires their freedom too, right? They have to be free. But, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could contribute to help making souls happy? Like, what exactly is enjoyment? I suppose it could be defined, uh, enjoyment is pleasure plus elevation. But that's only part of the definition. It's yes, pleasure, yes, elevation, but also an important dimension of connection. Right? Connection with others. Right? And um, you know, I was listening to Jordan Peterson the other day, and he says that, that human beings are the only creatures that eat together. Where we, when we have a meal, it's like a ritual in the family. We meet at, we eat at a table with others. Animals may share food, 
but they never eat together. They always eat on their own. They go into their little corner and they eat there, and you know, and uh, because we are social beings, and eating together is a key manifestation of the fact that we are social beings. We eat at table, and those who habitually eat alone or uber eat it. They have less satisfaction in their eating and in, in the long run, less health. They eat less, less healthily. So we need, and part of our enjoyment is we need that, that, um, that joy, we need connection. Of course it can be enjoyable to read on our own or to do art, but somehow connection must be part of that formula. And connection is how we develop friendships, how we develop our mission. It's, it's wonderful to have a good friend or somebody that we share our, our discoveries with, our things with, somebody that we, of course, listen to and we rejoice in what they rejoice in. Because ultimately our mission is not for ourselves. It's to give something to others. That's the importance of connection. Yet in the process, as we give, it's ultimately what makes us most happy. It's ultimately, you could say that happiness is really a byproduct of living a life in a meaningful way, in correspondence to what God wants from us. And the most meaningful thing we can do is to be those apostles that see the love of God in souls. See the love of God in souls. Or just see souls that are starving for God, starving for meaning. And, but you know, happiness as a goal in and of itself. If all we do is okay, I'm going to do this now in order to be happy, that's a recipe for disaster. Because we're not really seeing the ingredients that make up happiness. That's why apostle is really the work of establishing those connections. It'll bring us joy. It'll bring us great satisfaction. And of course, in many ways, that's the meaning of our life. I've heard it said that researchers have said this, that the happiest people in their 70s and 80s are those that manage to establish connections in their 20s and 30s. And they have therefore been good at, at love. Because when they were young, they developed love. They're like, they have good love chops, right? They, they, they learned that. And, and they have these crinkly looking eyes at the end of their life. They, they, you know, when you see people, they're like, their, their eyes are the crow's feet to the end in the corners. It's as though all they do all their life is just smile and, and you know, be happy. And this is a number one ingredient in our apostolate, to love people. To love them as they are. Not simply to transmit information or demand of them to accept something or other. We have to love people. In the end, we ask, how can I love and be loved? How can I love and be loved? That's the essential ingredient right there. And it's also where the enthusiasm, the enjoyment of life comes from. It comes from the love. It doesn't come from the good taste. It comes from the love. How to love someone, how to be loved, but also how to love yourself. You have to. You can't go around, you know, 
thinking we, we are bad and confusing that with contrition and we have to love ourselves because God has given us this life just as we have to love our parents you know, we, have to, we have the duty to honor our parents you know you, sh- you shall you know you shall honor your parents I read that recently the Pope said uh, Pope Francis said that uh, that childhood is like an indelible ink that affects the rest of our life and and when when the Lord when God, Moses spoke or God spoke to Moses he said you know that in the fourth commandment it doesn't mention you know the parents as such what the duties of the parents are it just refers to the children that our duty is to love our parents it doesn't say only love them when they've been really good only love them when they've given you a good childhood and there are many saints who had had very difficult childhood childhoods some of them lost their parents some of them were neglected but they still honored their parents in some way cannot make that requirement that my parents be good for us to honor them. So we should ask ourselves, how well have I integrated this mission of bringing love to others, bringing the love of God, and just our love to others, like our ability, humanly speaking, to love others. That's why if we are loving like that, we, we should have that ingredient of joy and satisfaction and purpose. And well, we ask ourselves, do I even enjoy doing apostolate? Do I enjoy connecting with others? Do I enjoy going out for a, for a drink with somebody? Some have become perhaps a little bit excessively stoic, too, too focused on duty and work, and maybe as a result there's just insufficient enjoyment in life. And we often think, you know, of moving ahead, of ambition, of prestige, all these pressures that we have, and we think that well, enjoyment, look, that's the last thing in my you know, list of priorities, right? It's like, it's just, a, it's just an optional, it's actually enjoyment, you know. Father said we have to enjoy. That's frivolous. That's frivolous, you know. What's important is to work and work and work. Or we might say, well, I'll enjoy time with others if I have time, you know, if I have time. When I have time, and then, of course, we never have time, right? But it is essential to be to have that joy. It is really essential. In some way, it could happen. I work and I work, and I just don't know how to have fun. Even I don't even have I don't even have fun. And that means we can't even, you know, we don't even know how to pretend to have fun. Like on social media, where it's totally pretending to have fun. Right? Every selfie is a pretending to have fun. Right? Well, maybe not everyone, but. Uh, a lot. So maybe we should make time in our schedule to have fun. And if it involves connection, it somehow involves apostolate. It can actually, as a result, make our time more productive. You know, with our super calculated time, with all our schedules and our iCals and our notifications, you know, we may think that actually doing apostolate and making it fun can actually come to be a priority. We can just put it in our calendar. Put it in your Google Calendar. Because this is my mission. And it's also, at the same time, really fun. So let's ask our Blessed Mother for this ability. 
to to do this apostolate as as she wants us to do it, you know, Queen of Apostles. And she will intercede for us so that we really live out that that mission that her son gave to his apostles, that you will be fishers of men. And thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.